All of us encounter storms in life. We encounter difficulties, hardships, and trials. Now, some of those storms are just the natural reality of living in a sinful and fallen world. Because we live in a sinful world, we have to deal with sinful people who can cause us a lot of pain and problems. And because we live in a fallen world, we have to deal with sickness and sadness and death, all of which brings storms, brings hardships, brings trials into our lives. Now, some of the storms that we encounter are supernatural. You see, the reality is the Bible tells us we're in a spiritual battle and our enemies, Satan and his demons, want to destroy us. And because they want us to to destroy, they continually attack us and it brings storms, hardships, trials into our lives. Here in Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at two different storms. The first storm is a natural storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee. The second storm is a supernatural storm that happened in a demon-possessed man. One storm involves wind, waves, and water. The other storm involves demons, destruction, and devastation. With both storms, the people involved go through great difficulty and hardships. And with both storms, Jesus is there to calm them and get the people through the storms. I think there's a lot we can learn from these two storms. A lot we can learn from the responses of the people in the storm and from the response of Jesus to the storm and to the people. We're going to see how we should and how we shouldn't respond when we face natural and supernatural storms in our lives. And as we look at these two storms, I want you to think about the storms that you faced in the past and for some of you, the storms that you're facing right now. I want you to think about how you respond when you're in the midst of a storm. How do you respond when faced with difficulties, hardships, and trials? And as we look at how you should and shouldn't respond to storms, I want you to examine your responses and see if anything needs to change. And ask the Lord to help you make those changes before you leave here this morning. Well, let's start by looking at the first storm that Jesus and his disciples are in. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 says this, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. So Jesus tells the disciples, let's get in the boat and cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they start heading over to the other side of the sea so that they can obey the command of Jesus and something happens. While they're being obedient, while they're doing what Jesus told them to do, they find themselves in a storm. A windstorm came down on the lake and their boat starts filling up with water and they're in jeopardy of sinking. Now, the first thing I want you to note here is that Jesus is the one who has sent these disciples into the storm. 
They're in this storm because they're being obedient to what Jesus asked them to do. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And so they're just doing what Jesus said, and yet they encounter a storm. The reason I bring this up is because many people have the idea that storms only come into their lives when they have disobeyed God. When they've done something sinful, the storm is the consequence to their disobedience or their sinful actions. Well, it's true that storms do come into our lives when we're disobedient to God. A good example of that is the life of Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, he's so disobedient to God and he literally encounters a storm as a consequence to his disobedience. But what we need to understand is that storms don't just come into our lives when we disobey God. They also come when we obey him. Here the disciples are in a complete obedience to what Jesus has told them to do, but they encounter the storm. You can go out and you can be doing what God wants you to do, be in full obedience to Him. That doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter storms. You see, the reality is we live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, we are always going to encounter hardships and trials and storms, whether we are obedient or disobedient to God. So each one of us should expect storms in our lives. We should expect trials. We should expect tribulation. We should expect struggles and hardship. The Bible actually tells us those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's a promise that when you're following Jesus, storms will come. And so don't be surprised when you encounter a storm. You know, I have personally found that when I expect storms to come, I am far better prepared to deal with them when they do. But when I don't expect storms to come, then I get taken off guard and I'm not prepared for them and I don't respond nearly as well when I get hit by them. So the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee in a fishing boat and they get caught in a storm. Now, first of all, I want you to have a proper picture in your head of the size of the boat the disciples would have most likely be, been in. If you go to the Sea of Galilee today, there's a museum there with the remnants of this ancient fishing boat pictured here on the screen. As you can see, this boat is not very big. The fishing boat used at that time of Jesus were small, mainly just for a couple fishermen. So 12 disciples and Jesus would have filled up that boat. Now, the reason I bring this up is because small boats don't do well in storms. Now, the Sea of Galilee is well known for its sudden storms coming upon it. But this wasn't just an ordinary storm. This was a severe storm. The severity of this storm is shown by the fact that Luke says they were in jeopardy and by the reaction of the disciples who said, we're perishing, we're about to die. Now, remember, several of the disciples were experienced fishermen on this very sea, and they were frightened and feared perishing in this storm. So the storm was so severe that the disciples thought they could die. Now I want you to try and picture the scene here. The wind is blowing, the waves are smashing up against the boat, the water is filling up the boat, and the disciples are starting to panic. They're probably bailing out water as fast as they can, doing everything they know how to in order to keep the boat afloat. And in the midst of all of this, Notice what Jesus is doing. 
we're told, and they came to him and awoke him. In the midst of this storm, Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping while the disciples are starting to panic about the storm. The disciples are worried they're going to die, but Jesus isn't worried about anything. He is sleeping. I find that interesting because think of all the worries that might have kept Jesus awake. He could worry about the storm he was presently in. He could worry about the religious and political leaders who plotted against him. He could worry about the overwhelming crowds with their overwhelming needs. He could worry about the disciples he chose. He could worry about the future because he knew what his destiny was. But with all these things to worry about, Jesus wasn't worried. So why wasn't Jesus worried? Because he knew he was in full control and nothing would happen to him and his disciples unless he allowed it to. You see, the disciples were worried because they missed this foundational truth. They didn't recognize who they had with them in the storm. They saw the power of the wind and they saw the power of the waves, but they didn't recognize that the power of Jesus was greater than the wind. The power of Jesus was greater than the waves. The power of Jesus was greater than anything that could ever come up against them. They didn't believe that Jesus had the power to get them through the storm they were in. How often are we like the disciples when we face storms in our life? The storms of life come and we start to fear, panic, and worry. We get totally focused on the power of the storm we're in. The difficulties that we are facing seem unsurmountable. The people that are coming against us seem unbeatable. The situation that we are in seems impossible to get through. We get so focused on these things that we forget the same truth the disciples did. The power of God is greater than anything this world can throw at us, and He dwells within us, and He will get us through the storms of life. When the storms of life come up against you, don't worry. Don't panic. Don't fear. Instead, place your faith in Jesus and trust in Him. Remember, He is with you. And he is more powerful than anything that can come up against you, and he will take care of you. In the midst of this storm, the disciples asked Jesus a very revealing question. Luke doesn't record their question, but Mark's gospel does. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, we're told, But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The storm has hit the disciples and they ask this question of Jesus and it's a question that we so often ask ourselves when we're in a storm. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, don't you care about us? They thought that because Jesus wasn't doing anything in the storm that he didn't care about them. This question brings out what they were really thinking. Jesus, if you really cared about us, then you would be helping us get through this storm. When the storms of life hit and it seems like Jesus isn't doing anything, this is a question that we so often ask. Jesus, don't you care that I'm going through this difficulty? 
Jesus, don't you care that I'm suffering through this illness? Jesus, don't you care that this person is doing these horrible things to me? Jesus, don't you care that I can't get a job? Jesus, don't you care? And you fill in the blank with the storm that you're facing. What we're really saying is, Jesus, I don't see you helping me, so you must not care that I'm going through this storm. Now, we must be very careful not to associate a lack of intervention by Jesus with a lack of care. Don't associate Jesus not taking us out of a difficult situation with Jesus not caring about us. You see, as much as we don't like storms, as much as we don't like hardships, as much as we don't like trials, they are beneficial to our growth as Christians. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. James and Romans tell us something so important to remember about trials, tribulations, and storms. We're told to count it all joy and to glory in trials and tribulations and storms. Now you might be thinking, how in the world do you become joyful or glory in trials and storms that you're going through in your life. Well, I want you to note here, James and Romans are not telling us to be joyful and glory because you're in a difficult situation, because you're in a storm. They're not saying, oh, be joyful that that person is being so horrible to you, or be joyful that that situation is so bad, or be joyful that your illness is just overwhelming you. It's not be joyful and glory in the hard, difficult situation. The reason we should be joyful and glory when we're in trials and storms is because of what they produce in our lives. They produce perseverance, character, hope, patience, and spiritual maturity. You see, there's an understanding of God and a closeness with God that only comes through trials. There's a dependence on God and a recognition of His power that only comes as He brings you through tribulation. There's a maturity and growth that only happens in the midst of a storm. You know, when you're going through something difficult and hard and, you know, you come to a place where... I can't handle it anymore. You now recognize that huge dependence and need that you have on God. And as God shows His power in that situation, you experience the power of God like never before. And it deepens that relationship. It deepens that trust. It helps you to grow. That is why James and Romans tell us to count it all joy and glory in trials and tribulations and storms because they can produce in you such wonderful things. You see, Jesus does care about us. Even when he doesn't intervene and even when he doesn't take us out of the storms we're facing. 
Jesus cares about what is best for our growth in Him. You see, He knows that storms help us grow, so often He allows us to go through them. Oftentimes, He does not intervene and take us out of the storms so that we might grow in Him. Something important to understand about God is that He's more concerned about our spiritual growth than our present physical comfort. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about your spiritual growth than He is about your present physical comfort. You see, God understands that our spiritual growth is what is most important for us. And if we need to grow through difficult things, through hard things that are physically difficult for us in order to spiritually grow, then He will allow that. Now, we're often more concerned about our present physical comfort than our spiritual growth. We say, Lord, you know, we would love to grow spiritually as long as it doesn't mean I have to be physically uncomfortable. Do all the spiritual things you want to do in my life. Just make sure I stay physically comfortable in the process. But the reality is, if you want deep spiritual growth, it brings with it physical discomfort. You know, I think so interesting to me that so many people say, oh, I, I would love the life of Paul. What they mean is I would love the impact of Paul's life. Because when you look at his life and all the torment and all the torture and all the imprisonment and all the shipwrecks and all the things that he went through, most people would say, forget that. But see, the reality is the growth in his life and the impact of his life, it brought a lot of physical discomforts as well. So when we go through trials and storms, we often don't care that they produce spiritual growth in us. We just don't want to in our lives because we don't like physical discomfort. And so we often conclude that if God is not intervening and getting us out of the storm, then he doesn't care about us. But that's not true at all. Sometimes the most caring thing God can do for us is to allow us to go through a storm to help us spiritually grow and to help us grow in our faith in Him. Another thing we need to be careful not to associate is a with a lack of intervention is a lack of help. Jesus might not always take the storm away from your life, but He will always help you get through it because He does care for you. Jesus will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He's always there with you as you face the storms of life. He allows storms into your life, but He never leaves you alone to face it by yourself. He will be with you to help you get through it. So the disciples are freaking out and they ask Jesus, Don't you care that we're perishing? And then Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, and rebukes the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was a calm. The Sea of Galilee is now calm. The boat is now resting calmly on the water. And what Jesus does here is he calms the storm. As he ceases the storm, he reveals something very important to the disciples. The disciples were never in danger of perishing in this storm because Jesus was with them. So often when storms hit our lives, we over-exaggerate our situation. 
I know that I am guilty of this. You go through something difficult and hard, and you have a tendency to over-exaggerate what you're dealing with. God, this is so hard, I'm about to die. No, you're not. Jesus is with you. God, I can't make it through this. It's impossible. No, it's not. Jesus is with you. God, I can't overcome this. It's insurmountable. No, it's not. Jesus is with you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, so often when we're in the midst of a storm, we just get focused on our difficulties. And as we focus on them, they start to look bigger than they really are. What we need to do is focus on Jesus, and then the storm we are in is placed in the right perspective. We see it through the power of Jesus working on our behalf. We see that we can get through it because Jesus is there with us. When you're going through a storm, I would encourage you, get your eyes off of the circumstances and the difficulties and place your eyes on Jesus to give you a right perspective of the storm you're in. The disciples asked Jesus, don't you care we are perishing? And Jesus responds by stopping the storm. And now Jesus has a question for the disciples. He says to them, where is your faith? Jesus didn't say, wow, what a storm. Instead, he asked, where is your faith? You see, the storm didn't disturb Jesus, but the unbelief of his disciples disturbed him. Now, it wasn't their fear of the storm that made Jesus say, where's your faith? A small boat and a big storm was a scary place, and the initial fear in itself wasn't wrong. What the disciples chose to do with that fear made all the difference. Their fear of the storm caused them to lose faith in Jesus. They lost faith in the fact that Jesus cared for them. They lost faith in the fact that Jesus had the power to protect them and get them through the storm they were in. And that is why Jesus asked, where is your faith? How come you didn't place your faith in me in this situation? This is so often the case with us when the storms of life attack. Fear often sets in and our faith in God is rocked. We start to doubt Jesus. Jesus, do you you really care? Jesus, do you really love me? Jesus, can you really get me through this storm? Jesus, are you really powerful enough to deal with this situation? Those doubts creep in. God wants to bring us to that place where we trust Him no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. That instead of fearing the circumstances, we would place our faith in Jesus. Faith that there is no storm He can't conquer and get you through. Faith that no matter what you're dealing with, Jesus will be there and has the power to get you through whatever you're going through. If you're struggling in your faith right now, faith when you encounter storms, all of us deal with it. All of us encounter that. All of us have those doubts where, Lord, do you really care? Lord, do you really love me? Lord, can you really get me through this? We all struggle with those doubts. So if you right now are struggling in your faith, 
struggling in your faith, especially when it comes to the storms that you face, there's a real practical scripture for you, for me. A scripture that reveals to us how we can increase our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you want to grow in your faith in God, then you need to grow in your understanding of his word. If you want to have greater faith in God, you need to spend regular time in his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God has revealed himself to us through his word. And if you want to grow in your faith, in your trust in God, you need to have a deep understanding of God. You see, the reality is we don't have faith and trust in people we don't know. And that's part of our problem. When we don't really know God, when we don't really spend enough time with Him, when we don't study His Word and understand His character and who He is and what He's done, it's hard for us when storms hit to place our faith and trust in Him. And so if you want to grow in that faith, you want to grow in that trust, spend regular time in His Word. Spend regular time with Him. So the disciples encounter a natural storm And Jesus calms the storm and he teaches them and us some valuable lessons about how we should and should not respond to storms we face. Well, now we're going to look at a supernatural storm with a demon-possessed man. And I want you to realize that we are in a spiritual battle and this is a type of storm that we regularly face. A storm that is supernatural, a storm that comes because of demonic influence that tries to destroy us. Let's see what happens to this man. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadareans, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he stepped out onto the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it often seized him, and he was under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. When Jesus and his disciples get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they come to the country of the Gadareans. Now, the Gadareans were Gentiles. And when they got out of the boat, they were met by a demon-possessed man. Now, we're told several things about this man. First, the man had been demon-possessed for a long time. This was a situation he had been struggling with for a long time. The man ran around naked. The man lived in the tombs. He lived in a cemetery. The man had supernatural strength. We are told the town kept this man under guard and chained him, but he was able to break the chains. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us two more things about this man. Mark chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, He often... He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountain and the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this man also couldn't be tamed. 
And he was tormented and self-destructive, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this man is in a supernatural storm. He's demon-possessed, and because of that, his life has been destroyed. He walks around naked, living in tombs. He can't be tamed. He can't be chained. And night and day, he cries out and cuts himself with stones. This is a vivid picture of what Satan and his demons want to do to people. We are told in the Bible that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We are told that he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This man lost everything because of the demonic influence in his life. He lost his home and the fellowship of his family and friends. He lost his decency as he ran around naked in the tomb. He lost his self-control and lived like a wild animal screaming and cutting himself. He lost his peace and purpose for living. This is what Satan loves to do in people's lives. He loves to leave them naked, bound, and tormented. This is who we're battling against, and we need to take that very seriously. The Bible tells us that every day we need to put on the armor of God to protect ourselves from Satan's attacks. You see, the reality is Satan wants to bring supernatural storms into your life to destroy you, and we need to protect ourselves from those things. Now, notice what this demon-possessed man does when he sees Jesus. When he saw Jesus, we're told, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. When Jesus encounters this demon-possessed man, he commands the demons to come out of the man, and the demons respond by freaking out and begging Jesus not to torment them. I find this very interesting. This is something that is so important for us to understand. Jesus has complete power over Satan and his demons. Satan and his demons tremble with fear around Jesus. You see, so often when we think of God and we think of Satan, we think of arch enemies and we think of God and Satan ultimately having somewhat of equal power. The reality is God is all powerful and Satan and his demons tremble in fear around him because God can destroy them and wipe them out whenever he chooses to, whenever he pleases to. God is in full control and Satan and his demons have no power against him. Satan loves to try and get us to tremble with fear when it comes to what he can do to us. But we don't need to fear because we have Jesus on our side. When we rely upon Jesus, we can overcome anything that Satan throws at us. And the reason we can overcome Satan is because Jesus overcame him at the cross and has complete power over him. Now, if you try to fight Satan in your own strength, in your own abilities... He is more powerful than you. He is more powerful than me. We will lose that battle. But when we fight in the power of Jesus, when we rely upon Jesus to fight for us and depend upon Him, we will be victorious over whatever Satan and his demons throw our way because Jesus is far superior and more powerful than they are. A wonderful verse to remember is 1 John 4, 4. It says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
The Holy Spirit that dwells in you, if you've accepted Christ, is much more powerful than Satan. Remember that. So when we look at the destructive power of Satan, we also need to look at the protective power of Jesus, which is much greater. When you're in a supernatural storm, when you're being attacked spiritually, remember Jesus has the power to protect you. So here's a man who has experienced the destructive power of Satan. He walks around naked, living in tombs, but he can't be tamed, he can't be chained, and night and day he cries out and cuts himself with stones. Now try to imagine what it would have been like to have a man like this in your community. He didn't start out this way. At one time he lived among the others in the community. But there came a time where his own irrational wild behavior convinced the villagers that he was demon-possessed or at least insane. They realized something needs to be done, so they decide to try and tame him, but no one is successful. He was still wild and crazy. Since they couldn't tame him, they decide the best thing to do is to bind him with chains so he can't hurt anyone. To their amazement, he has superhuman strength and breaks the chains. They probably try again to bind him with stronger chains, but he breaks those. They soon realize they can't control him, so they run him out of town. The man then dwells naked in a cemetery, a madman among the tombs. Night and day, he cries out and cuts himself with stones. Now, if you lived in that community, you would have either seen firsthand or have heard the story of the man who can break chains with his bare hands. You would have heard continual reports of people saying they have seen a madman crying out and running naked through the cemetery with cuts all over his body. On a quiet night, you could probably hear the screams coming from outside of the town from this man. You now fear him because he's demon-possessed and you can't control him. You think this man is hopeless and beyond all help, and there is nothing anyone can do for him. And now Jesus meets this man. And the demons start freaking out, and let's see what Jesus does. Verse 30. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him and he would not, and he, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Jesus asked this man what his name was, and the demons in this man respond by saying, Legion. Now a Roman legion usually consists of 6,000 men. We're told that he used this word legion because many demons had entered him. So this man didn't just have one demon inside of him. He had a whole legion of them. And these demons begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abyss, but instead to allow them to go into the swine. The Gospel of Mark tells us how many swine there were. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And at once Jesus gave them permission... Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, and there were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So these demons enter 2,000 swine. <laughs> so there's at least 2,000 demons in this guy. 
And notice what the demons caused the swine to do. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Once again, we're reminded of the overall purpose of demons. They want to destroy everything they can, even if it's pigs. So here's a man who seemed to be beyond all hope. The people around him probably gave up on him a long time ago. He couldn't be tamed. He couldn't be chained. He was possessed by thousands of demons who were destroying his life. Surely someone this messed up could never be changed. Surely someone this messed up could never be saved. Surely someone this messed up could never be used by God. But Jesus comes on the scene and does what was impossible for the people in this community to do. He delivered the demon-possessed man, changed, and saved his life. A great verse for us to remember is Mark chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. It says, And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. This encourages me so much because what is impossible for men is not impossible for God. With God all things are possible. Jesus can deliver, save, and change the most messed up life. It doesn't get much more messed up than this demon-possessed man, and Jesus was able to deliver him. Something important for us to remember is there is always hope when God is in the picture. Never give up on those people you know that don't know the Lord. No matter how messed up they are, Jesus can deliver, save, and change them. You know, I'm sure that you have some family some friends, some co-workers, some neighbors, some acquaintances. There are people in your life where you say, you know what, this person will never change. This person can never be saved. This person could never be used by God. Maybe perhaps you are that person and people used to say that about you. That guy's never going to change. Well, you know what, I think this man here, it was so messed up. The fact that Jesus is able to change him should remind us that no one is beyond hope. I want to encourage you, keep praying for those people. Those people that perhaps you've given up on. Keep praying for them and trust that there's no one that God can't reach. No one that God can't touch. No one that God can't deliver. So Jesus delivers this man from demon possession, and now we're going to see how the people in the town respond. Verse 34, when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadareans asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got in the boat and returned. When the people who took care of the swine saw what happened, they went into the city and in the country and told everyone what took place. So the people of that area came out to see what had happened, When they arrived, they found the man who had once been demon-possessed 
sitting fully clothed and fully saved. The wild, naked madman had become a sane and sensible citizen. Now, you would have thought that when the people saw that demon-possessed man was changed, that they would have been happy, that they would have said, Oh, man, Jesus, come and touch our lives. Minister to us. Look what you're able to do. We couldn't tame this man. We couldn't change this man. But look what you've done. But instead, they were full of fear. And the reason why they won't allow Jesus to stay, that they want him to go, is because of this fear. Once again, we see how fear is something that greatly hinders faith in Jesus. The disciples' fear in the storm hindered their faith in Jesus, and now we see the fear of these people hinders them from placing their faith in Jesus. Their fear causes them to reject Jesus instead of accepting Him. And sadly, they say, leave this place. And Jesus does. What could have been such an amazing experience for them, Jesus could have come and ministered and touched and healed and saved and changed them, but yet they feared. And I have to wonder if some of that fear was there because their livelihood, their pigs were no longer there. That maybe they cared too much about those pigs, more so maybe than this man who was demon-possessed. But their fear hindered their faith, kept them from trusting in Jesus. But the man delivered from demon possession, he doesn't respond in this way. Notice what he says to Jesus, verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This man begged Jesus that he might be with him. Jesus did for this man what no one else could. He delivered him from this horrible, demon-possessed life. And this man wanted to be with Jesus because of it. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to let you come with me because I have something I want you to do. Jesus says, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And the man goes and proclaims throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. I think this should be a great encouragement to all of us because Jesus desires that we too would tell people of the great things he has done for us. All of us who have accepted Jesus have a testimony, a testimony of the great things that Jesus has done for us. And we need to share that with whoever will listen. I also want you to note something. This man didn't know the Bible. He didn't have some evangelism training. He just went out and told people the great things Jesus did for him. You see, oftentimes we allow fear to keep us from sharing with people. And one of the fears that Christians have is a fear that they don't know enough of the Bible or a fear that they don't have enough answers for the skeptics or fear that they haven't been trained enough to get out and share with people that don't know Jesus. But you know what? We don't need to know all the Bible. We don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to be fully trained to go out and do what this man did. Tell people the great things God has done for you. If they ask you a question you don't know, just say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. I'll get back with you. 
Don't worry about that. Just tell them the great things Jesus has done for you. Actually, I found that this is one of the best ways to keep from getting in an argumentative confrontation. You know, I love apologetics. I studied a lot of apologetics. I like debating. I like bringing defense for the Christian faith. But I've always found it brings a lot of arguments with those conversations. But when I'm just sharing my testimony, what God has done in my life, there's really no way to argue with that. There's no way to really say much except, okay, wow, this is what God's done. It's a great thing. It's a great tool. It's a great way to share with people the power that God has to change your life. All of us encounter natural and supernatural storms. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond when we're in those storms? Are we responding like the disciples did? With fear, keeping us from faith? Are we responding like the Gadareans with fear, keeping us from faith? You know, when we're in a storm, don't fear, don't worry, don't panic. Instead, place your faith and trust in Jesus because He is there with you. He cares for you and He has the power to get you through the storm that you're facing. There is no storm, no difficulty, no trial too big for Jesus to handle. So come to Him to help you get through the storms you face. And remember, God wants to produce great things in you through these storms. So don't just look to get out of them. Ask God what He wants to teach you in the midst of them. I know that it's difficult to go through storms. I know it's difficult to go through trials and to go through hardships. And I know that oftentimes, myself included, we just don't respond the way that we should. We doubt our faith isn't what we'd like it to be. We're oftentimes a lot like the disciples were. And so I just want to close this morning taking a time just to come before the Lord, asking Him to help us respond to the storms we face in a proper way, in a way that has our faith grounded in Him. So I'm just going to give some time for anyone who wants to pray, and then I'm going to close this in prayer.